Our scripture reading this morning, it will be from the NIV version. It'll be on page 1249, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and then we'll pick up on verses 10 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. And we'll pick up on the 10th verse. You, however, know all about my teaching, my ways of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet, the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May God bless his reading. All right, well, we kick off a, a brand new series today, Return of the King. And I hope it's exciting as that intro music was. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, you may be uh, like me and like I used to be or was for most of my life and be thinking, why in the world are we doing a series on in times, you know, isn't that kind of like majoring on the minors, you know, of everyone knows all that matters is Jesus is coming back, and if you get that right, then the rest, you know, is, is just kind of secondary, so why would we spend a sermon on it, much less an entire series, even though it's just going to be kind of a mini-series, it's going to be three weeks, but, uh, you know, I, I felt that way much of my, my life, and in fact, for a while I went to a Christian school growing up, and and boy, they love to debate that stuff. And I used to get so frustrated, probably partly because they all disagreed with me. But <laughs> anyway, we, uh, I just thought, you know, if we spent half the time that we spend debating this, you know, focused on the mission that Jesus gave us, then maybe we'd actually get somewhere, you know. But uh, sometimes Christians, we love to debate this kind of stuff. And, and so almost for that reason, I kind of kept it at arm's length for most of my life. And uh, recently, just I guess it was last winter, we did a series of, of courses, kind of a long, uh, it was eight, nine, ten, I don't remember how many weeks exactly it was, uh, back in the fellowship hall on Sunday mornings, and we called that Return of the King as well, and, and it was kind of just went in depth, 
it was long. I mean, it was like hour-long classes, a bunch of them. And so this isn't going to be that long, and this isn't going to be that in-depth. But if, in fact, I may raise more questions for you than answers in some ways. And if, if that's the case, feel free to go back. Those are still on our website. And it was also called Return of the King, and you can go back to last winter. And, and it's kind of organized by topic, and you can listen to and, and kind of fill in the blanks of maybe what gets left to you today. But what I came to realize through teaching that was that this subject actually has, there's, there's several things about it that I feel like most Christians in America have, have kind of lost their way on, biblically speaking. And when we do that, on, on some of these things, you might say, oh, it's not that big a deal. But there's at least three of them, that, hence three sermons, that I feel like if we get them wrong, it affects things now. You know, what's next matters now. And, and we know this in our life because, you know, if you're a kid at home and your folks tell you, hey, when you hit 21, you're out. You know, if they tell you that's how it's going to be, then you know, hey, I'd better, you know, I better get things right in high school. I better get things right in college or junior college or or find a job that works for me. Get some training because I'm going to need to take care of myself at 21. What's next matters now. Uh, similarly, definitely in a big way, if you find out you're pregnant, ladies, you know you've got nine months <laughs> and that something is going to happen next. And it affects your now. Sometimes it affects your health now. But it also affects your decisions. What you do. How you prepare. Uh, you know there's things to be bought. There's baby showers to be held. There's things to do now. Because of what's next. And we understand that in life. And so it's the same thing with this. There's a few truths. That if we don't get them right. About what's next. That affects what's now. And so we're going to look at a few of those. Before we do, I want to introduce you to somebody. He's pretty special around my house, and a few of you may have even gotten to know him when he spent some time in Priscilla's office. And uh, so some of you used to come by and, and say hi to him. And he's our beta fish. I wanted to bring him, but it's a lot of work to bring him anywhere. It's kind of a heavy fish bowl. And so we left him at home. It's a lot less traumatic for him that way, too. Uh, but his name... I may have to tell you a couple of times, is Bitaba Boudreau Presto. Bitaba Boudreau Presto. And, and that just deserves an explanation. Uh, we, short, you know, shortly after we moved here, we bought a beta uh, for Hadley, and we set out to name this beta. And I thought we should name the beta Boudreau, because we just moved to Louisiana, and it just seemed like a good Louisiana name, Right? And Hadley liked it too. Well, Julie thought that we should name the fish Beatabah because Hadley, when she was little, she used to say that all the time. That was like one of the first things she babbled. We still don't know what it means to this day, but she'd say it all the time, Beatabah, Beatabah. So she thought, well, that'd be a good little name. You know, it'd be, a, and we could remember when she was babbling that. And so, well, Hadley liked that idea too. So we ended up with a Beatabah Boudreau. And uh, we weren't that thrilled with it. It's a pretty long name. And then that fish died pretty suddenly. <laughs> and uh, he, he was kind of wimpy to begin with, and he just didn't make it. And uh, so we got a replacement. And Julie was determined we were going to name this fish something shorter. So I think I suggested Fred. That didn't go over. Uh, so then she suggested Presto. And Hadley liked that. Liked it so much that she tagged it right on the end of Beat the Bob Boudreaux. And so therefore we have Beat the Bob Boudreaux Presto. As our fish now. 
It's crazy. But uh, anyhow, this is our little fishy friend. He does a very good job. He's, he's the b best uh, pet that you can imagine. It's really pretty low maintenance. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he loves to show off. I mean, this is typical. He just swims around the edge of the tank and shows off. And uh, he's a pretty fish, and we like him. And Hadley likes to uh, feed him and, and when she thinks of it. And so, <laughs> so we have to kind of keep tabs on that. But I want you just to use your imagination. This is going to be a little ridiculous, but I just want you to pretend for a moment that Beat to Bob Boudreau Presto is searching for something. Searching hard. He's looking and looking. He's, he's reading the fishy horoscopes. And he is uh, he's reading self-help books. He is looking for wisdom everywhere he can find it. He's listening to fishy talk radio. He is looking for his fishbowl. And that's kind of ridiculous because he's in it, right? And as ridiculous as that sounds, we all kind of have that feeling from time to time when we're like looking for our sunglasses and they're on top of our head, right? Or we're searching for our keys and they're in our hands. <laughs> Things like this happen to us. We also do this in bigger ways in life. You know, like when we're young, we think our best years are ahead of us and we miss out on some of the best years. And when we're older, we think some of our best years are behind us and we miss out on some of the best years if we're not careful. So we know kind of, you know, it's kind of a common experience that we have with, with our fishy friend here. But same kind of thing, I think, happens to Christians when it comes to talking about and looking for the last days, the end times, a lot of Christians get really consumed with looking for when's it coming? What are the signs? What's happening? How do we know? And so we're going to talk about that today from a biblical perspective and we're going to search scripture and when we search scripture looking for things about the end times, where does everybody go? The book of Revelation, right? In fact, I bet if we polled people like the average Christian or the average person in our country would probably tell you that's the only place that you go to find out about what comes next, the end times. And when in, when in actuality Jesus talks about it, his apostles write letters about it to, uh, to the early church. And so, so actually in this series we're going to look very little at the book of Revelation. And the reason why is I believe when it comes to things like this, we should... Use what is clearest to guide us through what is not. All right? We should use what is the clearest to guide us through what is not. In the book of Revelation, it's a type of literature that we call, well, that they call apocalypticism. We probably don't call it that. But, but the, the smart people, they call it apocalypticism. And this is apocalyptic literature. And what that means is that they use really fantastic and cosmic terms and ideas and descriptions and and metaphors and symbols and, and they love to use uh, numbers in all sorts of different symbolic ways and, and it's this thing that was kind of common to Jewish culture and especially with prophecy and you can find it in the Old Testament too in books like Daniel in the book of Daniel in fact some of the Old Testament prophecies are echoed the, the apocalyptic ones are echoed in Revelation they're mirrored there and so it's, a, it's kind of this thing where it's not meant to be taken literally, and it's not meant to be clear. In fact, we know this because people in Jesus' own day were still trying to figure out chapters like Daniel 7, 
and they were wrestling with, hey, what does this mean? And, and is this the Messiah that's described there or not? And, and they couldn't figure it all out. And they were ancient Jews. So we're kind of handicapped here. <laughs> we're not. And, and so if it wasn't real clear to them, we can bet that it's not going to be real clear to us either. And therefore, you know, whenever you have someone that's walking you through the book of Revelation and is telling you, let me tell you what this means, and let me tell you what this means, and I know for sure what this is talking about. You say, you, <laughs> if they didn't know, I don't think you know, buddy. <laughs> and so, so we're going to use what's clearest to talk about what's not. And anytime that you hear someone talking about end times, or you read something that's like, wow, that's hard to understand, you have to put it against the framework of what's clearest in Scripture. If it doesn't match up with what is clearest there, then we're getting it wrong or we need to rethink what we're talking about. So that's what we're going to try and do is, is look at just plain, the plainest talk we can find on matters of end times in Scripture. And one of those spots is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy, who he was a mentor to. And let's see what Paul said to Timothy. He said, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he tells Timothy, have nothing to do with them. Now I wonder if the title of this message was a little bit off-putting to anyone. Enduring the last days, you know, shouldn't we first be figuring out when the last days are before we talk about enduring them? And I'm going to suggest to you today that the last days, well, we're in them. <laughs> Just like the little fish friend is in his fishbowl, <laughs> you know. To look for something when you're in it is, is kind of silly. And so that's what I want to suggest to us today. And when we look at this passage and we first start reading it, we hear him say, there will be terrible times in the last days. And we get kind of nervous and we get a little bit excited maybe, like maybe we're going to find out what to look for, how to know when the last days are coming. And, and, and then Paul begins this description that's really kind of a little bit disappointing. Because, I mean... Any of our presidential candidates match this description pretty well. <laughs> Any, a lot of our, our co-workers might match this description pretty well. Uh, you know, people in the past, when we read about history, there's a lot of people in the past that match this list pretty well. Uh, and in fact, we find, as we read on through this, that there were people in Timothy's day that matched up with this list pretty well because Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with them. He tells Timothy, you have nothing to do with these people. Now, Timothy's not still alive, right? <laughs> no one's met anyone a couple thousand years old, have you? And, and so, obviously, Paul was talking about something that at least Timothy would experience. And what we find is that this is actually common. Not just from Paul, but from other apostles of Jesus. And when they talked about the last days, they talked about it as something they were in. That, they were, that was imminent and that they were dealing with. For instance, 
the Apostle Peter gave the, the first sermon, right? At, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and he preaches this sermon and, and thousands are saved. And he says in that sermon, he quotes the, the prophet Joel. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And he uses that to tell the, his audience, these are the last days. This is what's happening. We're living in that moment. And, and you need to repent and you need to be baptized. And something like 3,000 were that day. The Apostle John wrote letters too. And in his letters he talked about this. Now this is interesting too because you know when, when people, when you hear in popular culture right, when they talk about the last days what are the things that they talk about? Well, you know there's going to be these signs that happen and then uh, and then there's going to be a, a, like seven years of tribulation, right? Anyone heard of seven years of tribulation? Find it in the Bible for me. <laughs> They don't talk about seven years of tribulation. And, and then it, along with that tribulation is the Antichrist. And again, that's something that the only place where the word Antichrist is used is in this letter from the Apostle John to the churches. And look at how he uses it. He actually uses it plural more than singular. But, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. And he goes on to define what an Antichrist is. And that's anyone who opposes Jesus. That's anyone who says, no, Jesus is not the Son of God. He's not the Messiah. He's not God's chosen one. He didn't die and resurrect from the dead. Anyone that says that is anti-Jesus. They're anti-Christ. And so John writes and he says, this is it. <laughs> this is the, we're in the last days. And we find in the Bible that the last days consist of every day between the day Jesus ascended into heaven and the day he returns. And so we find ourselves in the fishbowl we're looking for, right? We find ourselves in the last days. And there's not much need to look for signs because his coming could come at any moment. And the descriptions that Jesus gives and the descriptions that his apostles give tell us that we're living in the season between when Christ ascended and when Christ returns to set everything right. And it's a very unique season in history. Paul goes on in his letter to Timothy. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconic, and Lystra. The persecutions that I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil, evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. When the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy and said, there's going to be terrible times. He was speaking from experience. He had had some terrible times. And, and in fact, we find out in history that things only got worse for the church before they ever got better. That this guy named Nero would take power. And he would, as history tells us, burn down Rome and blame the Christians for it and ramp up his persecution of them even greater. 
were, were told horrible stories about things that he did to Christians, including using them to light his gardens by making them human torches. Later, in, other emperors would you know, build the Colosseum and, and they would put Christians in there for sport to see them killed. The book of Revelation, actually, it's been called the book of the martyrs. It was written to martyrs. It was written to people being persecuted for their faith. To encourage them to remain faithful, to endure in those last days. And to remind them that God was not ignoring their suffering. And that in fact there was wrath in store for those who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. So it encouraged them to hold strong. And the book of Revelation still encourages those who endure hardship in the name of Christ today. I kind of have a feeling that the, America may be about the only place where we would invent a theology that says that tribulation is something still yet to come. Because around the world, in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, and other corners of the world, Christians face death and worse every day for Christ. Our news media doesn't tell us much about it a lot of times, and I don't really blame them. I mean, we hear about mass shootings like what happened in Orlando at, at the Pulse, and, and that's their job, is to report on the things that matter to most Americans. And, and so a lot of the stories of mass shootings that happen in corners of the world that Amer most Americans don't even know exist, you know, don't get reported much. But Christians are killed in mass regularly around the world and we don't hear that much about it but persecution <laughs> Paul said everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted he was talking from experience and it's been the experience of God's church predominantly throughout history and so we find ourselves in kind of a unique situation and maybe that's part of the reason that the, the left-behind theology that's so popular in our culture right now it has only been around for about 150 years. And it's predominantly been in America that it's been popular. And maybe that's just part of the reason. That's just my theory. But here's what we know. When it comes to enduring the last days, we know that our world will be faithless so we need to be faithful. When it comes to these last days, and when it comes to enduring these last days, we know that our world will be faithless, and so we must be faithful. Peter, again, when he preached that sermon and said, these are the last days, he told him, repent and be baptized. When when the Apostle John wrote and said, we're in the last hour, there's people rising up that are against Christ Jesus, and, and you need, he said, you need to be faithful by holding to the truth that was passed on to you from the Apostles of Jesus Christ, who saw all this happen. Jesus himself, when he talked about the last days, and he warned his disciples about what was coming, he told them to be faithful. He said, look, you're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. If they persecute me, how much more are they going to persecute you when I'm gone? And, and you need to be prepared. You need to be diligent. You need to be aware. You need to know your stuff. You need to stay strong. You need to be ready. 
And you need to stay on the mission. We're going into all the nation to preach the gospel. That's the mission. And he said, the end won't come until the gospel is preached to all the nations. So get on it. And so we know what it looks like to be faithful in the last days. Because Jesus and his apostles taught us what it looks like to be faithful in the last days. But I want to pose a question to you today that that I want you to wrestle with. And I realize this is kind of a a heavy message and this is kind of a, a heavy question. But it's implied in in several ways throughout the New Testament and I think it's important that we wrestle with it. See we tend, especially in our culture, we need to be aware of the fact that we are highly opposed to suffering, right? (laughs) Suffering is, we we live in a a very luxurious society. And and we we read about even just our American ancestors and the the hardships and the trials that they endured on on the frontier or you know, when they first came over, the, the pilgrims and different ones who endured hardship to, uh, to build this nation into, and, and to give us what we enjoy so much now. But man, I mean, we, we've come to a place where, you know, we want, they, they make toilet paper that says luxury. <laughs> All right? We have come to a place we do not like to suffer. And so questions like this are, are tough questions for us to wrestle with. But if we're going to be faithful... In these last days, there are questions that we need to wrestle down to the ground. And the first question I want to just throw out to you is, are you prepared to suffer for your faith in Jesus? And maybe that's one of those questions that's hard to answer because maybe in some sense you don't really know until you get there. But I think it's important that we at least resolve, yes, I am willing to suffer for Jesus. Because for the first Christians that we read about, they certainly were willing. Many of them even counted it a privilege to suffer for their Savior that had suffered for them. I mean, we read in Acts that as they were proclaiming the gospel, that they were threatened by the religious leaders, the same ones that had killed Jesus. They were threatened with their lives to stop preaching the gospel of Jesus and that said that they left not scared, not ashamed, but rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for Christ. Wow. Are you prepared to suffer for your faith in Jesus? This isn't this isn't to be compared with some kind of crazy fanaticism or, you know, like what you hear about with radical Islam where they, you know, they say, oh, you'll get umpteen virgins if you go and, and kill yourself in the act of taking out the infidel or, you know, something like that. This is, this is simply saying, my Savior died for me and I would count it a privilege to suffer for Him. In fact... Maybe this is really the question that hits closer to home. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Or is your life still more precious to you than He is? This life, I should say. This life. Because our hope in Christ is that this isn't the last bit of life we get. 
So we need to wrestle this to the ground. Is, is this life more precious to us than Jesus? And this is a question, even though it's painful to wrestle with, it is worth wrestling with, because I'm not sure that we can truly be faithful in this faithless generation if we aren't willing to wrestle this down to the ground. And the day may very well come where we need to have our answer made up in our hearts and in our minds before we get there. Because the days we're living in are the exception in history, not the rule when it comes to followers of Christ. This is not a question posed to make you afraid of what's coming. I've heard a lot of Christians, and probably been one of them at times, that say, boy, you know, the way our country's headed, we may have to suffer. And it's said with a dread and a fear. We're not a people of fear. And the reason we wrestle this question to the ground is so that we can live fearless lives. In fact, people of faith, the faith of the faithful should be fearless and fervent. We're told we have primary sources dating way back to those days in the Colosseum from Roman doctors who would go and observe the dying because Roman law prohibited them from uh, you know, doing, like doing that in, in a regular setting, but they would allow them to go into the Colosseum and, and those who had been you know, sent, sentenced to death, essentially, they were able to go in and witness their last moments. And we have primary sources of them saying that we've never seen anyone so fearless as these Christians. I mean, that's our heritage. We are fearless because we believe our hope is not just for this life. And we count it a privilege to suffer with our Savior, Jesus. And so the faith of the faithful has always been fearless, but it's also been fervent. And here, perhaps, is the greatest danger. If we keep looking for signs of the last days yet to come, we miss the point that we're in it. (laughs) We're in the fishbowl that we're looking for, right? We're in these last days, and so our prayers should be fervent prayers. And our lives of faith should be fervent lives of faith. Fervent is about having passion and boldness and a sense of... A sense that things are are imminent and that something needs to be done now. That's what it means to have fervency in your faith. How are we doing on that? I think in many ways the church in America needs to wake up. To realize... Where we stand in history between Christ's ascension and His return. Our our, our Christian brothers and sisters are persecuted and yet we slumber. Evil runs rampant in our society and in our communities and yet we slumber. Grave injustices are committed day in and day out. And yet we slumber. Millions that don't know the hope of Jesus Christ. And yet we slumber. People in this world who have never 
heard the name of Jesus and yet we keep on sending our missionaries to the same places that they've already gone and we keep on investing so many dollars here where the name of Jesus has been lifted up for so long and yet even here in our backyard are, is a new generation rising up and most of them, many of them will never go inside the doors of a church they don't know a thing about Jesus at least not the real Jesus we cannot slumber we must be faithful if we are to endure these last days the way that Jesus asked us to then our faith should be characterized by a fearlessness and a fervency and if we're willing to do that if you'll be faithful the funny thing is you end up finding a joy that the world has never found you end up finding a fuller life and look at what Paul said this letter to Timothy was written towards the end of his time he says the time has come for my departure I have fought the good fight I have finished the race I have kept the faith and now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and that promise is not just for Paul because he goes on sorry he goes on to say and not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing we're going to talk about that next week when we talk about hastening the judgment of all things do you long for his appearing But Paul says, this hope that I have, this ability to say that I've fought the fight, I've run the race, there's a crown in store for me, this isn't just my hope, it's anyone's hope who have also been running this race with me. It can be your hope too. It was Ruth Cootie's hope. Amen? And so, friends, when it comes to enduring these last days, our world will be faithless. So we must be faithful to the end. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that can stir us and wake us up. It has the power to mobilize your church. We confess today, God, that we have had far too little fervor. That we have lived as though the last days were yet to come. So Holy Spirit, grant an intensity and a passion to our faith. Free us 
from clinging to things of this world that, so that we can have bold lives of faith. And may the world see our passion and know that you love them. In Jesus' name, amen.